Welcome to sermons from First Alliance Church, equipping you to become a fully devoted and faithfully engaged disciple of Jesus. Here's today's message. Well, again, thanks so much for joining us this morning and tuning in online wherever you're at in the world or in life or in your journey of faith. We're so glad you're with us. My name's Andrew. I'm one of the interim co-lead pastors here at First Alliance Church. I want you to think about a time when something unbelievable happened to you. A time when something unbelievable happened to you. And here's the thing with unbelievable things is that it remains unbelievable until something happens that changes everything and makes it believable, right? I mean, almost uh, like over a year ago, as we were coming out of the winter and heading into the springtime, I thought it was unbelievable that the world would enter into a pandemic in March. I don't know about you, but that's where I was at. And then it happened. And all of a sudden, the unbelievable became believable. And we were all thrown into this journey of reckoning with that. Today in our text, as these two disciples are walking on the road to Emmaus, they're on a similar journey. Because the unbelievable has just been announced to them. They had been following Jesus, watching him, learning from his teaching, and they thought that Jesus was the one who was going to save their people and lead them out from under the boot of the Roman Empire and bring God's kingdom. But then he died on a cross, and everything fell apart for them. But a stick was thrown into the spokes. And just to add to the confusion that they were feeling about Jesus' death, three days later after he died, some women went to the tomb from their group and they came back announcing that Jesus was risen. They were announcing that Jesus' body wasn't there, but he was alive. I mean, talk about unbelievable. And they are on this road to belief in the resurrection of Jesus. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you also wonder about the truth of that claim and you wonder, has the unbelievable become truly believable? Maybe you wonder about the existence of God or the claim that Jesus was raised to life. Or what about this? Maybe you've accepted that claim as true, But like many of us, as we follow Jesus, you're trying to follow Jesus, but often it seems like he's hidden. Or often it seems like you're not sure what he's doing or where he's going. And instead of following the leader, it feels like you're playing hide and seek. I think if we're honest, more of us are in that position than we would want to admit. Sure, we want to know God more, but he seems hidden. He doesn't seem close to us. His will doesn't seem clear, especially in a time like this pandemic, especially as we head into another lockdown order, stay-at-home order in Ontario. God, where are you? What are you doing? 
And what our text opens up for us today is, is a very critical issue. It's the issue of revelation. The issue of revelation. And I don't mean revelation as in the last book of the Bible. I mean revelation as in the, the theological word for how we, small as we are as humans, can know the eternal God. How can we as humans know the eternal God? There's something that we need to reckon with as we try to follow Jesus or as we try to walk the journey of faith. It's that on our own, we have zero ability to access God's inner life. We have no way of knowing who God is as he is in himself. We have no way of accessing God through even our best powers of science and observation and thought and philosophy. Yes, we can see his fingerprints everywhere, in the world, in one another. But we can't know him as he is. Our position is a little similar to that of the who's in Dr. Seuss's Horton Hears a Who. It's this incredible children's story about an elephant in the jungle of Newell who discovers an entire world inhabited by these creatures called Who's on a tiny speck. It's a tiny speck of dust. And the Who's are so small, they're so minuscule that they're too small to see Horton, this elephant. They're too small to know the world outside of their speck of dust. And they're too small to know that as their world is shaking, there's actually an elephant who is guiding their speck of dust on a little clover, protecting it from all these threats on the outside, trying to find a new home where their world can be safe. You see, the Who's can't know Horton unless Horton speaks to them. And that's what happens. He speaks to them from the outside. And it's the same with us. We cannot know God unless God speaks to us from the outside. Unless God reveals himself to us in a way that comes down to our level as we live on the speck. Revelation. God's self-disclosure. This is so crucial in the matter of our faith, in the matter of, of our belief in the resurrection of Jesus or our belief in God. And it's interesting because that's actually what we see Jesus doing here. These two disciples are on the road toward belief, but they're not there yet. And Jesus comes alongside them and reveals himself to them. Look at verse 15 with me. At first, Jesus is hidden from them. In verse 15, it says, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself kind of came up and walked alongside them. But then it says they were kept from recognizing him. Isn't that interesting? They're on the road and it's Jesus himself. I mean, he, he's risen and so um, maybe they don't recognize his risen body. It was probably also the evening time, so maybe the light wasn't that great. But it's clear that something has closed their eyes. They're, they're, they're not able to recognize him. But even there, Jesus comes up. 
He came up. And that word actually means that he drew near. It it denotes closeness. And what this text is opening up for us is the fact that Jesus is on the move. Jesus is on the move. He's drawing near to them. He's walking alongside them. And they don't even know it. He's hidden from their eyes. But he's not far. Just pause and think about that. Think about the ways that Jesus might be near to you. The ways that God might be drawing near to you and walking alongside you, even though you don't know it. Even though you don't feel it. Notice Jesus' gentle approach. He comes to where they are. He comes to where they are on the road. And he comes to where they are at in their journey to belief. He asks them questions. Did you notice that? And he kind of enters into the role of like a random stranger. And he kind of plays dumb. Like he doesn't know what's happened. And so he asks them questions and they share. They share with him what they know. Look at verse 19. Here's what they know. Jesus of Nazareth was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and the people. And then they share what they know happened to him. The chief priests, it says in verse 20, and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. He was a powerful prophet. He was crucified. These are things that most people, even today, uh, non-believers would believe about Jesus. But now we get to their doubts. Look in verse 21. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We thought he was the redeemer. We thought he was the Messiah. We thought he was the one who would free God's people. But how can he do that if he's dead? And then it's the piece that they find really hard to swallow. Verse 22, look there with me. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but couldn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. You see, Jesus is hidden right now. And these disciples are wrestling with belief in his resurrection. Did he actually rise? And I want you to see how Jesus comes alongside them and he doesn't blast them with the truth of his resurrection glory. He doesn't blast them with the truth of his resurrection glory. He comes alongside them, gently moving them along on the road to belief. That's a fundamental thing I want us to see here this morning. Wherever you're at on that road to belief, whether you're wondering if it could be that it's true that Jesus has been raised or whether you've been following Jesus for many years, the risen Jesus graciously is on the move to encounter us and reveal himself to us. He is seeking us. And isn't that just so contrary to the way of popular spirituality and the way of world religion in general? 
I mean, pop spirituality really portrays God as this being who, has dis, who is distant, and he's almost set up this obstacle course in life for us to go through, and we're left to ourselves to try to get to God, to be good enough, to be religious enough, or to be truly enlightened, and then we'll get to him. But the gospel, the Bible comes along and says, God has drawn near to you. He's speaking to you. He's reaching out to you, revealing himself, inviting you in. Way before you ever took a single step toward him. That's incredible news. And that's not just news announced to us here in this story. This is all over the Bible from page one. And all the way through, God takes the initiative in Genesis 1 to create the world, to speak it into existence. And then he takes the initiative to create humanity and speak to them, to show himself to them, to invite them into a life of communion with him. And get this, even when humanity blows it time and time again in the Old Testament, even when we allow sin to enter the world and brokenness and death come in, Again and again, it's God speaking. It's God seeking. And God's initiative shows this incredible love for us. Friends, see the risen Jesus on the move graciously to encounter you and reveal himself to you. So, how is he doing that? How does he do that in our lives, how is he revealing himself to you? I want us to consider an important way, probably the most crucial way that this text shows us. It's that Jesus reveals himself in the Bible. He reveals himself in the Bible. So after hearing their questions and coming alongside them gently and speaking with them, what does Jesus do? Look at verse 25 with me. He says, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things to enter into his glory? And then beginning with Moses and the prophets, and that really just means the Old Testament, beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them, he interpreted to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. I'm not exactly sure what he said, but he might have pointed out the snake crusher in Genesis chapter 3, a descendant of Eve who would come and crush the head of the snake, crush the devil, but who would himself be bitten by the snake's bite. He probably pointed out the numerous times in Scripture where it was prophesied that a descendant of David would come and be king and have a kingdom that would never end. And I am sure I'm sure that he pointed out the suffering servant in Isaiah 53 who would suffer and die in order to redeem God's people and who even in his dying would see the light of life and be satisfied. See, in the scriptures, all over God's Messiah is a suffering servant. He is a self-giving king. And through him, death gives way to life. And it's just unbelievable. How can death give way to life? But of course, things are unbelievable until they happen and it changes everything. He was raised. 
And as he leads them on the road to belief, he's gentle, but he's also bold. He confronts them. I mean, did you notice how he says, how foolish you are? Like, ouch, Jesus. Because the reality is sometimes we are a bit dull. And he tells them straight up, guys, everything you need to know about God's Messiah is here. It's in your book. Don't you know your book? Don't you know your Bible? And so many people today live wanting God to speak to us in an extraordinary way, in in a lightning bolt from the sky. But how does that square with what Jesus is doing with the disciples here? How does that square with the fact that we are so often indifferent toward the extraordinary gift of the Bible? Where he has supremely spoken and he's made himself to be known to us. I feel this all the time with my kids where I I say something to them and I have to repeat myself over and over and over again and they move on to something else or they want to ask me about some other thing that's related and I'm like, what did I say to you already? Like five times. And God is so gracious. He's so patient with us. But friends, the Bible is God speaking to us from the outside. In the Bible, the God who is unknowable is made known to us. This is his story. It's authored by him as his spirit inspired human authors to write that story down within the context of our humanity and our culture so that we could understand it. This isn't in celestial language. This is in human language. It's in the very real stuff that makes us so creaturely. It's given as story. It's given as poetry. It's given as commands. It's given as biography. It's given as crazy sci-fi apocalyptic. In so many ways, God is revealing himself to us in this text, in the text of Scripture. Do we know the gift, the extraordinary gift that the Bible is to us? You see, the, the Bible is God's main instrument in Revelation. It is instrumental in Revelation, meaning it's, it's not about the Bible for the Bible's sake. That would miss the point. It's, a, it's about the Bible for God's sake. It's about knowing the scriptures in order to know God. Jesus was talking to some Bible scholars of his day, and, and this is what he said to them in John chapter 5, verse 39. He said, you study the scriptures, Diligently, because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me and have life. The Bible supremely reveals Jesus. That's what he's saying to these disciples on the road to Emmaus. He is the invisible God made visible to us. He himself is the revelation that the Bible reveals. The Bible pulls back the curtain for us and reveals to us the truth that Jesus of Nazareth is Lord. He wasn't just a a great moral teacher. He wasn't just a social justice champion. He, He is the Lord. And he has redeemed the world in a way that nobody thought possible. The unbelievable happened. 
And we need to believe it, that he died and rose, and in doing so, he has rescued the world from sin and evil and death and brokenness, and he's led us into life. The unbelievable has happened. Now, if scripture is the instrument, God's spirit is the power. God's spirit is the personal power who takes God's words, which, by the way, the spirit inspired. And he takes God's words and enables us to understand them. And he applies them to us personally. You know, I've heard so many people say, and I even echo this sentiment that, wow, how amazing would it have been to walk that road with Jesus to Emmaus? To have the risen Lord beside you, unfolding the scriptures, showing you where he is. And as incredible as that would have been, friends, we have his own spirit. We have his own personal presence with us and in us, if you are a believer, to guide us into the truth, to remind us of everything that he said. Notice how I'm trying to help us see what we already have. I'm trying to help us see what we already have but that we often fail to see or that we often fail to take hold of. That if you've put your faith in Jesus, you've given your allegiance to him, then God has already given you the resources you need to open yourself up to him and to live with the risen Jesus. Scripture, in the hands of the Spirit, God revealing himself to us, speaking to us, bringing us into his story and transforming us there. So what? What should we do about it? This might sound old hat. This might sound like the classic thing a preacher preacher should say from where I stand. But it's not. Friends, we need to read the Bible. We need to read the Bible. We need to study it. We need to realize the precious gift that it is to us. You know, as I observe people as they are on the road to faith, the road to belief, and as they walk on that journey, the people who always enter into a deeper relationship with Jesus, the people where it seems like there is constant movement, they don't get hung up, they don't slide back, they they don't go back. The people who develop and mature and grow in their faith, there is always one constant that is part of it. And it's a deep engagement and regular reading of the Bible. You can't grow as a disciple of Jesus without reading the Bible. And let me say to you, if you take the Bible seriously as God's word to you, God will reveal himself and transform your life. God will reveal himself and transform your life. Now there's three things that I want us to to know about our Bible reading and, and I hope this helps you, especially if you're starting off or you've had like many false starts where you've wanted to take the Bible seriously and it's never panned out for you. Three things. First, start to read the Bible with expectancy. 
This approach to the Bible is a game changer. When we approach the Bible expecting to hear from God, it just changes everything. It comes alive to us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this. He said, one cannot simply read the Bible like other books. He said, one must be prepared to really inquire of it. Only thus will it reveal itself. Only if we expect from it the ultimate answer shall we receive it. That is because, he says, in the Bible, God speaks to us. And one cannot simply think about God in one's own strength. One has to inquire of him. Only if we seek him will he answer us. Friends, if you take the Bible seriously as God's word to you, God will reveal himself and transform your life. First, start reading with expectancy. Second, start to read with discipline. Discipline. This one is so important. And discipline, I mean, think about it in life. Any other venture you want to do, any other craft or skill that you want to learn, discipline is essential. And did you know that the root word of discipline is that word disciple? I mean, they sound so similar. In fact, as I was writing this sermon, I kept typing disciple when I meant to say discipline. It just shows how closely the idea is. In other words, you can't be a disciple without discipline. You cannot be a disciple without discipline. Just like physical exercise or learning an instrument, when you start, it goes slowly and it's often so hard and it can be really frustrating, let me tell you. I remember when I was a kid and I was trying to learn the guitar and I so desperately wanted that guitar to just sing in my hands. I wanted to play like the greats. But that doesn't happen without hours and days and months and years of practice and learning. We need discipline. We need discipline. And we need to persevere in that discipline until... Thirdly, it becomes a life-transforming habit. They say it takes 21 days to form a habit. I I hope that's true. (laughs) That's manageable. You see, eventually, if you persevere in discipline long enough, discipline actually gives way to power. Discipline gives way to power, the power to make that guitar sing or the power to read the Bible meaningfully for yourself. If you persevere, reading the scriptures will become this life-transforming habit that you love, that you can't live without, and that empowers you to live the life that Jesus is inviting you into, a life of of godliness, of, of peace, and of joy, and of satisfaction in him. I love how John Mark Comer reframes the idea of discipline for us. He says this, A discipline is a way to access power. Through discipline, you become the kind of person who can do something you previously could not do. And then he says, with spiritual disciplines like reading the Bible, you are opening yourself up to a power far beyond your own, that of the Holy Spirit. That's such a different idea of discipline. 
Discipline is not drudgery, but is a way to access power, to open ourselves up to a power far beyond our own, to God himself. To have a place in our life to change us. Again, if you take the Bible seriously as God's word to you, God will reveal himself to you and transform your life. Whatever difficulties we're facing right now, whether you're up against mental health, whether you are up against extreme loneliness, or whether you are just so fried and burnt out because it seems like you're working and then you're with your kids and then you're with your kids and then you're working. Wherever you're at on life's journey, Jesus is more than able to reveal himself to you. He draws near. He walks alongside us, even when we're not aware of him. I love what Matthew shared. How he wasn't missing some kind of silver bullet that would just make everything fit together and all his problems go away. He just wasn't aware of what he already had in Jesus. His redemption, his forgiveness, his acceptance, and his nearness, all because he died and rose. Friends, Jesus calls us into the story of the Bible to encounter him, to know him, that we can learn from him and follow him. As we take God's word seriously, with renewed passion, may his spirit fill us and empower us and deepen our trust in him. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you for how you encounter these disciples on the road to Emmaus. And as we continue to track with them on the road to belief into next week, when finally it clicks and their eyes are opened, Jesus, as we go into this week, would we take you at your word? Would we take your word seriously? Would we press in? Would we seek you? And as we do so, God, would you continue to graciously reveal yourself to us? Unfold your plans. Unfold where this is all heading and empower us to live for you right now in this cultural moment, in this moment in history. We pray this, Jesus, in your mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more on us as a church and ways to connect, please visit us online at firstalliancechurch.org.